Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the White Cola Network. Uh, it's the first episode for the year, and I'm excited to share what we have in store for you here at the White Cola Network. Um, today, we will be speaking with a Nigerian lawyer working in the UK. Mr. Kechuku is a lawyer with multi-jurisdictional expertise. He's a brainy one, a first-class graduate from the Enugu State Science and Technology University. So we just had a sit down um, with Mr. Okechuku to know basically what is Japa 101 to him. So over in Nigeria, we have a slang, so Japa, like a verb, to Japa. So Japa technically means just living um, or immigrating, leaving your country um, you know, for a new one, for another country. And um, these days, with the way work is centered, especially in the legal space, Work might also have to transcend more than one um, geographical location, maybe cross-border transactions and what have you. So we got the thoughts of um, Mr. Kechiko Rusakwe to understand how his Japa story went and also his tidbits, his advice for lawyers and law students who would look to also emigrate and also you know, spread their tentacles to other um, geographical locations. And it's important to note that while this takes a very specific discussion as to lawyers and um, law students. This is also for just generally professionals because we share, um, especially his thoughts on um, how professionals could be able to access opportunities, especially in the United Kingdom. So feel free to give us a shout out at thewhitecollarn at gmail.com and also feel free to giving your recommendations what we would you want to hear from what's next what kind of content would you like to see on the podcast so i hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed recording this episode thank you hello hi Dabere, can you hear me yes i can hear you loud and clear good evening hi good evening <laughs> okay so the introduction and um i would be getting straight into the conversation if that's uh, okay by you sure okay so um i'm glad to welcome you to the white color network um i hope this will be the first of uh, many times we can have you on the program and basically um what we're talking about uh today is um you know just the Japa talks, and I'm going to make up the conversation as uh, informal as possible. That's fine. Okay, so um, I would want to know. You know, the truth is, I've always, uh, you know, those kind of uh, people. For example, let's say you have a friend that knows a friend, or mm-hmm. like you have someone who has uh, so many connections with your friends, but you've never met the person actually. So I think yeah. you fit in that category. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the pleasure yes, is yes. Mine meeting you. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. so uh, now I would want to start from your school days, from your time uh, at ASUT at the Enugu State um, University of Science and Technology. And mm-hmm. I want to take you to perhaps your final year. How, how did you, you know, view the outside world and what did you want to, you know, do with yourself and your law degree? Hmm. So the thing is, um, right from my entry into Enugu State University of Science and Technology, I only wanted to to excel in the study of law. So, and um, I wouldn't really say that I knew at that time what I wanted to make out of the law degree, even up till. 50% of, of the program. So, uh, yeah, from final year, I started having some kind of mental picture of the things I could do. Uh, uh, looking at where I am now, I would look back and laugh at all those plans I had then. So, but that was what I wanted at that time because I felt uh, maybe that was all that um, I could get. So, particularly at that time, I was thinking about becoming a lecturer, 
you know, teaching law in any of the Nigerian universities. Mm, interested, yeah. interested. <laughs> then I also hoped that I would be a an expert criminal uh, litigation lawyer. Uh, and I had the hope then to pursue postgraduate studies and um, become a professor eventually. Uh, in fact, professor of criminal law. So at that time, I think that was my my dream. So and uh, I wanted to also do that while I would operate maybe a law firm within the metropolis of where I would be practicing, you know. So these were actually the things I, the things that were interesting me in when I was a final year in the university. You know, most of my very close classmates, you know, can confirm most of these things because I always spoke about my future with them. You know, I was always excited to tell them the things I was planning to do. Yeah, so that's it. Mm. Okay, so to know that you wanted to be a lawyer, I'll go back to the classroom. So, I would want to, when did the picture start to change for you? When did the vision start to change in your head? <laughs> so, um, when the vision started to change was when I went to the Nigerian Law School. So, uh, some of the lecturers started telling us about um, several uh, law firms in different parts of the country. You know, I could remember one particular lecture where the the teacher was telling us that some in some law firms that they don't do the traditional legal uh, practice that there are commercial firms that advise on commercial transactions, you know. And so he said so many things which were alien to me because what I understood law practice to to be then was, I mean, having some kind of chambers, going to court, you know, dispute resolution particularly and all of those. So hearing that from him, in addition to the testimonies that some of my classmates who went to the highbrow cities to do their externship, you know, some of them came back with so many stories about law firms and, you know, different new things and all of those. So I started uh, making my own personal investigations then, you know, of course, they said Google is your friend. So I started Googling and doing all of those to see what uh, law firms generally do in Nigeria and whether there are law firms that do something away from the traditional things that the chambers do and all of those. So basically, I started investigating and checking law, um, law firms in the highbrow cities and all of those. So I discovered then that there were uh, there were some other things, some other businesses that law firms could do beside, you know. So when I finished from law school, my dream was then to work in one of those big law firms in Nigeria, you know. So that was where my my lecturing dream started changing because. I didn't go ahead to now start looking for teaching roles or opportunities, you know, even though uh, there were possible opportunities in, in, in teaching that I could grab around that time. But I became interested to get into a big law firm to know what lawyering is within the, that environment. So, and I was lucky to to get opportunity to work in one of them and um, from there I moved on to <laughs> other different things apart from what I thought I wanted 
like teaching and um, being in the academia and all of those. So yeah, that was how uh, my dreams changed. Mm. Well, quite interesting to note there. I think uh, one of the things that struck me about um, your, your story is how you know, as you moved forward, the, the picture became clearer. I think there was this famous quote that, uh, you know, dreams, um, visions don't come out fully formed in your head that, they, you know, they get clearer as you progress on yeah, them. Yeah. Um, so, okay, my, my next question would be, in, now you're a lawyer working at a top um, UK firm, um, a top um, litigation firm in, in London, and um, now with young lawyers coming through the ranks and through school, and sometimes our um, curriculum here is not as expansive enough to tell us about other you know, areas of law that are beyond what we um, traditionally know. So what part did you take to your own Japa story? When you mean what part? How? What exactly do you mean? Sorry. Okay, I, I mean like you. For example, you took a you, had, you took a, a master's um, mm -hmm. to at um, the Cambridge. So mm -hmm. you know, some people sometimes are, are you know they are they are thinking that oh must I find a job first before going or should I go through the academic route or should I go maybe let's say someone has an auntie or, or an uncle who stays there so sometimes they are, they are a bit modeled about the path to take whether they should take an academic part or they should go for a job first then later you know they can begin to work towards maybe a residency and you know citizenship and other things oh I see well uh, this question is is quite a big one, and um, sincerely, there is no uh, one size fits all approach to it. It's not a, a, a straightforward thing. So, it's it it depends on several factors, you know, and several factors surrounding a particular person's circumstances. So, um, of course, the ways of 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 Japan, if I should use your language, uh, are clear. They are there. So, if you want to relocate abroad, you could relocate on the basis of a job that you've gotten, you know. And um, if you get a job with a, an organization that is maybe recognized by the embassy to sponsor people from abroad, then they can sponsor you. And on, the, on that basis, you will relocate to do the job for which you have been employed. Then um, another very common way that most people use is the master's rules, the, the schooling routes. So some people travel to do their master's or PhD or some other form of education. And when they are done, the some of them get jobs and on the basis of that job they stay back, you know, abroad. So these are the two major ways uh, so uh, the other ways people have to visit abroad is not is not really a long term thing. You know, sometimes you could get visiting visas to just go shopping or to go for tourism. So the intention of that route is not uh, for people to relocate. So yeah, so in recent times, I've seen a lot of people who um, relocate on the basis of studies. After they study, they get employment. So, and the UK embassy this time around, you know, has brought back uh, the two years post-study visa that was uh, shut down, I think sometime, was in 2012 or so. So, but they've they've revived it again since last year. So, if you come to the UK to study at an undergraduate or post or master's level, you will be entitled to give uh, to have two years 
visa after your studies to enable you to look for work. Then if you did a PhD, you would be getting uh, three years of study visa to look for work. So um, that is the most... Uh, I mean, I can't speak for all the professions actually, but for lawyers, I think that's what they do most times because um, the legal sector here is not really in want of, of workers or professionals. So because they have enough lawyers here to hire from. So it's usually not easy getting a, a, a law-related job without being here, actually, because if you are in another country and um, they want to fix or they want to fix a vacancy in a law firm here and the law firm is advertising. So you would see that most times they would get applications from people who are currently in the UK and have the right to work and are also knowledgeable in that area. And all of those, they have the UK experience. So you know law is a jurisdictional thing, is a jurisdictional profession. So it's not really extraterritorial like uh like say computer engineering or medicine or nursing or some of those professions that you know wherever you train, it's possible for you to just quickly uh get assimilated into another uh another environment so but law is 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 a profession that is territorial to some extent because of the differences in you know legal systems so in the scenario that i i i just created so a uk lawyer for example applying for the same position would usually uh, get the attraction of the employers that are advertising for that role more than a Nigerian lawyer who is back in Nigeria who would require sponsorship, which is some form of expenses, and who also um, is not really abreast, generally speaking, of maybe the English legal system and their laws. So that's why... Uh, it's difficult for lawyers to get jobs abroad from Nigeria. But I've said that the story is different when we are talking about people who are tech, uh, the tech people, and maybe the people in, in health sector. Those ones are the ones that we daily hear that, oh, from Nigeria, they just get jobs and the establishments here would sponsor their visa and they come over. So, but it's not really like that with lawyers. So the lawyers have to go the extra mile, you know. So when you come here and study, at least you tick the box that you have you have an education, you know, from the jurisdiction, so first of all. So you have uh, come in contact, although theoretically, with some of the laws that operate within the jurisdiction. So you can use that one first to you know, to whole body before you start start, um, thinking of how to close up other gaps. Yeah, so uh, I I would advise that a lawyer seeking to relocate and maybe get a job here should maybe first of all think about the study route, you know, rather than... um, I mean, trying to get a job from Nigeria. And on the plane of possibility, you know, you cannot rule out uh, everything. So it's possible, too, that somebody may get lucky, you know. So, but really, I, I, I don't know somebody who has been lucky doing that. You know, all the people I know, you know, studied here or maybe studied in the U.S. and got a job here or something of that sort. So that's... That's all I can say about that route. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. 
so thank you for for that so we want to ask um for you know your master's program at uh, cambridge what was the experience like you know was it like you were inside a movie how did you how did you feel the experience of uh, cambridge well um cambridge is a very great place to be and very interesting institution so what makes cambridge is it's not just the, the academic profile that the institution has, which is what most people are seeing, you know. Uh, the traditions, you know, associated with the school is also one thing that uh, people are not seeing. So Cambridge is quite interesting because it's a place where you get to experience a lot of things, not just, I mean, the academic aspects so but it's quite unfortunate that most of those things we were not able to experience them because i got into cambridge uh, when the coronavirus pandemic was ravaging so it affected a lot of things so we were having some in-person classes at that time and um when the government guidelines changed again, we had to move online and all of those. So we saw ourselves moving from classroom to online and online back to classroom and all of those. Then some of the things that um, would have also added to the whole experience were affected by all those rules of social distancing and track and trace and all of those. So we didn't see ourselves doing so much, but towards the end of the program, when uh, the pandemic was better understood by I mean, governments of the world, so uh, there were some, there were some free, there, there was some freedom for us to, you know, participate in one or, or two of those those traditions. So. Really, um, my stay in Cambridge, apart from the extent to which coronavirus pandemic interfered, was very, very interesting. You know, I was I had the opportunity to learn from some of the best teachers in the world. I had the opportunity to also interact and learn from uh, some of the brightest minds that you can think about in the world. So um, given that one of the entry requirements to do a master's uh, in law in, at Cambridge, you know, is that you must have attained some level of academic um, uh, uh, performance before you would be let in. So that meant that most of the people that were in my class, you know, had done very good for themselves academically in the past. And it was very interesting having to learn from them and they were drawn from different countries so that made that made it more interesting actually yeah so that was really what happened at cambridge <laughs> quite interesting it, it looks yeah. like uh, yeah. you know what, <laughs> like an episode of uh, suits yes i think you should you should go to cambridge you know mm. Yeah, you should go to Cambridge. You will enjoy it. Mm. Uh, that's good to know. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. So uh, I want to to you know to draw you back a little bit, and um, you know we talked about uh, you know how the, the the routes, different routes to take, and how we can take those routes. And mm -hmm. we, we want to know for for Nigerians moving over to the UK, is there was there any special requirement? For example, a test, IELTS. TOEFL, GMAT, was there special requirements by the High Commission or, uh, or you know, the Air or the British Council, anything that you would naturally um, need while you want to move, maybe for your master's or for other purposes, for, for some permanency in the, in the UK? Okay, so um, if you're trying to come to the UK to study, um, especially if you're coming to do the law postgraduate program, you most of the schools here do not require English tests. 
right? Yes, a lot of them do not require English tests. So there are just a few of them that would insist that you provide English tests. So I'm aware of Cambridge because uh, I wrote IELTS. You know, it was one of the conditions of my offer and they were not willing to, you know, to waive it. So I had to write IELTS. I also know about Oxford. Oxford makes it a requirement. I know about um, Queen Mary, University of London. I know about um, LSE, you know. So there are a few schools that that um, require IELTS. So, but they all have their different um, prescriptions as to the overall um, score you should have. So they don't have a uniform um, score. So, uh, but I think majority of the schools in the UK don't require IELTS. Majority don't require IELTS. And from the little that require IELTS, there are some that would also waive it if you're able to show that you you've got at least the credit in your YEC or um, maybe if you can get a letter from the registry of your, 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 your university, you know, from the, uh, maybe the registrar's office or the exams and records, or maybe the Dean or a recognized uh, position in your university you know, saying that you were taught in English language. So I've seen situations where some of those schools also accepted that in place of a test. So, but there are some schools that don't accept any other thing apart from IELTS or TOEFL, you know. So this one now depends on the school. Uh, so it depends on the school and what they want. So, but I can tell you the majority of the schools don't ask for IELTS. They could take your WIAC or a letter from your school in place of that. So, um, I don't know about other courses, you know. So, but I know that there are courses you may want to do, and you'll be required to write GMAT or GRE or. So in any situation, the, the, the most reliable source of information is to look at the website of the school and look at exactly the course that you want to do and look at the entry requirements for that course and look at the requirements that can be waived and those that can be waived under certain circumstances and all of those, you know. So that's it. Mm, mm. Mm. Okay, okay. Thank you for sharing with us. Quite uh, helpful and informative. Yeah. So th the next question. Now you you work with a you know a top law firm uh, in in London, the UK, and um, you've also worked in Nigeria. So you know, permit me to ask. So how does the work experience compare? You know, you've worked in a very busy city. You know. You are now you're working in London, another busy city. So, how does the work you know experience compare for you at your at the, the firms you've been at? Hmm. Um. First of all, I think it's it's uh, it would be honest for me to to mention that I am just one month old in the firm I work here in London. So, and um, I do not know if that length of time is reasonable enough for me to 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 assume that I am now uh, well abreast of how working in a London office could be. So, but um, uh, if I am to just use the, the much experience I've got to to talk, then I would say that I mean uh, there are there are several differences that I have I have I have seen. So and also it's important to to also note that what obtains in in the place where I work may not be what obtains in 
other places. So there is that possibility too. So um, I'll be speaking based on the particular experience I'm getting from where I am working and not maybe for law firms generally in London because I've not worked in any other one apart from this. So, yeah. So um, first of all is that... um, it seems it seems um that the the love here or maybe the the working culture here is moving according to the dictates of what this generation wants is moving according to the dictates of time more than what happens in nigeria so and what do i mean by that I mean that the, the the working culture here is beginning to evolve into modernization. I don't know if it is caused by the coronavirus pandemic, but I don't know, but that's what it is now. So employers are beginning to understand that um, some of those traditional rules, workplace rules, are not too effective. And... Uh, people of this the young people of this generation that are beginning to enter the corporate world you know are are coming with the expectation that things have to be done differently and employers are understanding the dynamics you know uh, that currently exists as opposed to what's happened in the past so unlike in the nigerian workspace where and our rules are being followed, you know, uh, they are a bit relaxed here. So, like, um, when I worked in Nigeria, I remember that you couldn't I mean, miss any day of work except your leave. <laughs> <laughs> you miss day of work any day except your leave or maybe some partner or supervisor or someone approved that you should not come that day. You know, upon giving a reason, you know, that, I mean, could justify your absence. Uh So um, it's not like that here. Sometimes you could be allowed to work from home, you know, for some time in the week. You know, some days you could work from um, the office if you want to come into the office. So there is this uh, relaxed, I mean, culture about coming to the office at all times. Because some of them are even seeing that, I mean, it's even more expensive running the cost of the office if people keep coming in every day. Uh, So, I mean, the toiletries that people use while they are working, the coffee and the milk and the sugar, and even the electricity and everything would increase if there are more people working in the office. So uh, these are realities that sometimes maybe the Nigerian employers are not aware of, or maybe they are aware of, but they are not just willing to let go of those rules about coming into the office and all of those. Then uh, another thing I've seen is the dress code. So I don't know whether this one applies generally to law firms in London or just where I work. Where I work, you don't need uh, you don't need suit and tie, or or all those corporate dressing to to come to work. Hello, Dabiri. Yes, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I lost you before. Yeah. Apologies for the breaking transmission. Uh, Nigeria day. <laughs> oh no problem. I am only worried if that saved. No, it, it, yeah, it's saved. It's recorded. Thank you for your concern. Okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was I was answering the question about the the difference. I mean, what I have seen so far working here, and um, yes. What, yeah, yeah. So I, I I had talked about um the freedom to sometimes choose where you want to work from. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes, yes. And I was talking about the issue of dressing before um, the break in transmission. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So here I have been allowed to, to I mean, dress in any way that I feel that is comfortable for me. You know, you are not required to wear suits and tie. You know, um, you can even wear jeans. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah, you can wear a jean and a t-shirt. You can even wear sneakers. You know, so what is uh, more important is that you are decently dressed. Like you don't have to be exposing so much of 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 the parts of your body. So, but. I mean, if 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 you would wear a jean or a t-shirt or sneakers or any of those, you would not be run, running foul to any dressing rule. So you are only required to wear a suit and tie. Maybe if you are going to the courts, or if you have some meetings with clients, some physical meetings with clients. Yeah. So, but apart from that, there is no strict rule regarding uh, dressing so uh, yeah then um, uh, it seems there is there, there, there isn't so much emphasis on on hierarchy you know so uh, when I worked in Nigeria I mean when you come to the- <laughs> So when you come into the office for the even for the first time as a new employee in Nigeria, you already know who is your senior and who is not your senior. You know, so um, I know this one now is a matter of personal behavior and traits, but I mean, it is usual in Nigeria that people who are your seniors in the office don't usually find time to. I mean, catch up with you on on other matters apart from work, or maybe to some of them people find it hard to wear smiling faces. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there is so much. I mean, attention to hierarchy. You know, so but where I am working now here in London, if you come to the office, you really cannot tell who is a senior associate or who is an associate or who is a training solicitor or who is a paralegal or there is no such, I mean, on the face of it, you cannot really tell. It's only when they send emails that you can maybe see their signature or when you go to the websites, that's when you can see what position the person is holding or when you, I mean, get so used to the firm. So, but you really cannot tell because uh, apart from the partners and the legal directors that have maybe their own offices, you know, other people sit among, I mean, you sit among senior associates, trainees, solicitors, and it's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a place of freedom, you know, and particularly mm. where I work, uh, again, I don't know if this happens in any other firm, but where I work, you can hardly have a workstation to yourself. So every workstation has the same thing that the other ones have. So you cannot really say that, oh, you want to sit on this desk because of this or because all of them have the same. So when you come, you can just hop onto any workstation. And so long as you are around your team, we only have uh places in the office where different teams work on but within your team you can use any workstation well, when you're done you clear the desk and take your things and go home and stuff like that so really mm-hmm. is um to to use a loose language i think is is chilled more mm-hmm. i like that yeah it's chilled more here than i mean than Nigeria where you you 
you suffer to put on tie even when the weather is mm. not really encouraging. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, I mean, nothing is too tight here. So, I recall when I worked in Nigeria, sometimes you have to. Uh, sometimes you have to get to a certain level in the firm before you can even send out an email, you know. So you just do draft emails and maybe a senior will send after correcting your English, you know. So, and um, some of those corrections, most times you don't even see the basis for them because, I mean, <laughs> English English. You know, so long as you're not something good, you know, so somebody correcting if required to, if needed, you know, some of those things I don't So, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, 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 they want you to appear so formal, you know, address somebody as sir and all of those things. We don't do them here. We don't do them here because um, uh, sometimes you you sometimes you, you don't even know how that person prefers to be uh, addressed. So um, some people have some particular pronouns that they use too. Somebody may use a he or she or her they or them so you don't know which pronouns they use so and you don't know what they identify as so you don't have to just uh, write a mail and say dear sir just because you just feel that a person uh, should take should be bearing sir or something of that sort so most of those gender centered uh, words and pronounce and all of those things the, I mean we don't emphasize too much on them here in correspondence until you establish how maybe the person wants to be addressed or something of that sort so even on my email signature my pronouns are there so that you can know what to address me as whether he or him or some of that those things so I think that's also a huge difference the way we we communicate and the way uh, communication is being made here, you know. So uh, I remember in in Lagos, sometimes you have to be so formal to say, oh, dear Dabirichi, or you say, oh, no, Dabirichi is a senior advocate of Nigeria and you, a mere associate that is maybe three or four years post-call, you cannot be calling a senior associate Dear Dabrich, you have to look for his surname to address him as Dear Mr. So, 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 and so. And, you know, or put Sir in Dear Sir. Or... Hi, Dabir. Uh, hello. Okay, can you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so um, I'll be brushing up. To the final questions and um, um so the, the the second to last one here just uh, briefly how um for people who are not so who are not high flyers academically so to speak people who are very to to or a thought class but you know they want to redeem themselves and they want to you know perform better academically and also they want to take that academic route is it possible to get a scholarship on on the tutor, the third class, is it possible to get admitted for for a master's? I would love to hear your perspective on that. Hmm. This is a tough one, really. Um. So, for those who have tutu, sometimes there are some scholarships that come up, and I mean, tutu would be the minimum. So, yeah, it may be difficult to come by, and maybe it's not a regular occurrence, but it does happen you know sometimes so i think uh, it's, it's it's for them to i mean seek out information and uh, do more searches and surf the internet you know they could find then um thought class i really do not know 
because uh, personally I have not encountered any. I've not seen any of the scholarships that uh, are open to third class people, but on very few occasions I've seen those open to people with tutu. Uh, and that also goes. Uh, that also is the case when it, when 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 the issue of admission is discussed. Most of the schools that I know have uh, two one and all of those as their minimum requirements. But there are also a great number of schools, you know, that uh, accept. Can someone on a tutu get admitted or get scholarship? Um, yeah, so like I was explaining, there are many schools in the UK and um, what that means is that there are many options, you know, people can look at. So a person who has a tutu may not be eligible for too many scholarships, but that does not mean that they don't have any scholarship at all that they can apply for. So I think the best thing is for them to, you know, do a lot of search and, you know, solve the internet. I have seen on few occasions, scholarships that had the two, two as minimum requirements for eligibility. So it's not a regular occurrence, but it does happen from time to time so yeah it's possible then there are so many schools too that can admit people with to, to many uk universities you know for their llm so um there are just a few of them that insist on maybe first class or two one as minimum requirements but i know that a good number of uk schools can admit to two students then um, that's it about um, whether someone with Tutu can get admitted or get a scholarship. Okay, um, we've gotten to the fun round. What's my favorite food? Do I really have a favorite food? Well, I think rice and stew could pass as my favorite stew because uh, my favorite food rather because uh, I, I usually don't get tired of eating rice and stew. I can have it two times or even three times in a day and even all, all the week. <laughs> so I think rice and stew would be my favorite food. My go-to snack. Uh, I don't even really have a favorite snack but i think uh, uh, some of these pastries like um, meat pie or chicken pie or some of those yeah so i could always think about them maybe when i want to eat something yeah. are you sure uh, are you an early riser or a night owl? Do you prefer to work early in the morning or late at night? I am not really an early riser. I always, <laughs> I always um, struggle to wake up early in the morning. So I'm always awake during the night, and um, I think I, I I I do more stuff in the night. I work more in the night than early in the morning you know okra soup or a goosey soup ah okra anytime any day in fact okra soup is my best soup so a goosey has no place here i, I only eat the goosey when there is no okra hmm. what do you miss most about nigeria well mm, i miss uh, my family members that are still in Nigeria, my parents, you know, then uh, I also miss partying in Nigeria because partying in Nigeria is very interesting here. <laughs> yeah. Final advice to law students and lawyers looking to emigrate. Hmm. 
my advice to lawyers and law students looking to uh, to JAPA is that um, they should make their findings and inquiries, you know, about the opportunities that there are in those countries after their studies. Because what I see is um, a lot of people want to go to the U.S. because they feel U.S. is, is, is a big economy. Some people don't want to go to Canada because they say the cold is too much in Canada. Some people may complain, oh, there are so many taxes in the U.K., you know. So I think those considerations are actually uh, secondary, or rather they are not even the, the main considerations. What you should ask yourself is, based on my profile, based on the achievements I have, what are the things that I can get in this country when I am done studying, you know? Uh, and that thing you want to do after you you finish your studies, you ask yourself if doing that thing, if the opportunity to do that thing is possible in the country that you're choosing to go. And not necessarily the fantasy of how the country is and whether there are more uh, opportunities for marriage and all of those things, you know. So because living in a country that is not yours comes with so many challenges. So you have to identify the prospects for getting, you know, a well-paying job or, you know, the prospects for, you know, having your, your dreams come true and the things you want to do rather than which... Uh, country is a bigger economy and no it has to really affect you and your dreams so that's my advice to lawyers and law students seeking to travel thank you